on Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Ward, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. Yeah, we're hoping to talk to Dre Jones here in just a moment or two. Of course, uh, he was the big acquisition, probably the biggest free agent acquisition this team has made in over a decade. I remember John Schneider saying the biggest since Sidney Rice, right? Kind of the first time they've delved into day one, phase one of free agency, and they're going to need him to be a real force for them on the defensive line this year. So looking forward to talking to him in a few minutes as soon as they're able to wrangle him uh, over uh, before practice today, and uh, we'll see what he has to say. His former team, remember, he comes from Denver. Mm. What a crazy mm. story there. I don't. Has anybody seen the Sean Payton Article that came out in USA Today, I think it's Jarrett Bell who wrote this. Peyton is torching what went on last year. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's kind of back-to-back days. The first day he spent torching the league and torching him about the gambling language. And, you know, no surprise, this was a league that suspended him for an entire season. Right? If you remember Sean Payton back at New Orleans and fined him an immense amount of money. And so I don't think there's any love between him and Roger. And with his new deal being nearly $100 itself in Denver, I think he's got the age and the money and the resources to say whatever he wants to say. To him, whoever he wants to say it. Well, here's what he said about last year. He says, oh, man. There's so much dirt around that. There's 20 dirty hands for what was allowed, tolerated in the freaking training rooms, the meeting rooms, the offense. I don't know, Hackett. A lot of people had dirt on their hands. It wasn't just Russell. He didn't just flip. He still has it. This garbage that he hit a wall, shoot, they couldn't get a play in. They were 29th in the league in pre-snap penalties on both sides of the ball. Yikes. The thing that's funny about that is I thought Russ was coaching the team, so I don't understand. Who is he taking shots at here? I thought Russ was essentially empowered to coach that team. Well, he was. he's taking shots there at Coach Russ, not Player Russ. Ah. He's got Player Russ now. Okay. He's got that clay to mold. It's on his watch now. The whole deal is totally on his watch. Man, the... the you, <laughs> Maybe we should chat with DMAC again at some point. I, I know to. you I know you love DMAC. I do. Maybe it's seven thirty tomorrow. We could just chat with DMAC because Salk, it is a whole new world. Why in don't Denver. we talk with his partner, the one who sandbagged me when I went on the show and was asking me about the Kraken and why I wasn't talking trash about them? What's that guy's name? Yeah, he's not there anymore. Oh, he's Derek, not? Derek Wolf. No. Weird. I could have sworn that he had a new partner and the guy was, you know, a lot of fun yeah, to talk no, to. That was no, great. No, he's not no. he's not there anymore? No, that didn't work. Oh, no, that's that, too bad. That didn't work. And the way it's worked for these Denver media for the last, I don't know, 10 years is they've got to be real cozy with the team. They've had barbecues. They've been front row and center. They've been able to cover every inch of it. And this uh, new head honcho has come in and basically said, no, on my terms. Nope, you're not going to get to talk about practice. Nope, you're not going to get to watch much of practice. Nope, I'm going to tell you when you're going to ask me questions and when we're going to have media and when we're not. And it's going to be my way and or the highway. And Sean Payton has come in with a Bill Parcellsian <laughs> effect. This is my show. kind of who he is, right? I mean, like, he's got as much in common with Parcells as anybody. He's from that tree, yes, right? Yes, and, and And probably, it's funny, because Belichick is from that tree also. But Belichick's not that much like Parcells. I mean, like, they, they really were sort of a yin and yang in some ways, Correct. running those Giants teams Sean back in Payton's the day. More, Sean Payton's more Parcells. Yeah, I mean, he, he's as close to Parcells as you'll find in this league today. Correct. Correct. And I think even now, that much more empowered, as I've said, in this position, that uh, he's willing to, to, to let some of those Bill Parcells sound bites out and let people know where they stand and make it crystal clear. And he thinks Denver can be a playoff team. 
So thankful for all of us in Seattle that he was not the coach in Denver last year, that it was this debacle that the Seahawks did have the number five pick because of it, because Denver will be better this year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Sorry, oh, just ahead. a little update on uh, Dre Jones. He's going to join us at 8.15. Sorry about that. We had a little mix-up and timing and all of that. So we'll talk to Dre coming up at 8.15 and then Jerry DePoto at 8.30. And we're going to move our uh, going to move our most intri- – actually, you know what? Do you want to do our most intriguing Seahawk right now? Let's do it a little now. shorter, but I think we might actually have time for it. Can we do that more or does that oh, screw you up decision. over there? Hey, well, you know what? Stud Rebel. You know what? It. I'm ready. Do it. Number 22. All right, most intriguing Seahawks every day at 8 o'clock or today at 8.04. Sometimes that happens when you're moving around pieces. Uh, number 25, Brock, was Drew Locke. Number 24, Chris Stoll, the long snapper. We'll see whether or not he ends up being intriguing or not. Number 23 was Trey Brown. Today, we're going to go to the other side of the ball. Number 22, wide receiver, Derek Young. And in some ways, he's sort of a matched pair with a guy that we've already spent some time talking about today, D. Eskridge, because I think they're competing for some playing time. They're different kinds of players, but gosh, how do you not like what Derek Young brought last year when he finally made it into mm-hmm. games? He was great in the preseason. You couldn't help but notice him, but I see kind of a Jermaine curse type, a guy who seems to be willing to do all the dirty work, does all the little things, but probably with a little bit more speed and a little bit more physicality than curse was able to bring to the position. Mm, that's a tough one for me because Curse was a pretty darn refined route runner. Pretty, pretty. I'm not giving him that credit yet. I didn't say he could run routes like Curse. I'm saying he could do a lot of the little things. The setting yeah. of the not pick picks. The blocking down when you need to block down. The taking a screen and running with it. I think he's a little more athletic. No, that's all fair. Yes, he's but bigger. I think he's willing to bigger, yep. more athletic, etc. Yep. But I think he's willing to do some of those things. I see him as sort of a cross between Jermaine Curse and Chris Matthews. Ooh, that's a pretty good one. Thank you. That's a that's a that's I a take pretty. I the rest of the day off. There we go. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good comp, and I love this little sound we've got on our sound sheet talking about Derek Young, and it was actually Pete Carroll, who had special teams coach Larry Izzo give Derek Young a, a, a just is a a blowhorn is a is a rookie to do this. Here was Pete talking about that uh, last he year. He looks great, and, and he's, he's working hard. Uh, shoot, he got to talk to the special teams group on the night for the game uh, because of the, pre- the play that he's brought forth. Uh, Larry Izzo gave him a chance to speak out, you know, and, and he handled himself well. You know, little kid from Lenore Ryan, man, he's, he's doing it. And uh, so he, he's going to have a real future. He's a real stud of a kid. Really, really smart and really tough. He can block a little bit too, huh? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's playing fullback. You see, he's playing fullback <laughs> yes. yesterday. And, and a couple times. And, yeah, he's going to do more. He's going to do more. He's number 22 on this list, but he's one of my favorite players on this team. He's a guy that I'm rooting for as hard as anybody. And some of it is that he's from a small school and trying to make it. And I think that's a good story. Some of it is that he's just one of those guys who seems to do the right thing on the football field, which I think is great. I don't know how much four wide they're going to do this year because they've got such a deep tight end group and they don't want to take their running backs. I mean, like it's not a, a, a formation that necessarily fits mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how much he'll be on the field, but I just really like him. He's a guy that I root for. You know what he needs? He needs a neck roll. <laughs> I don't think just, that's going to happen. Just an old school, the little white one, like yeah. around the pad. Just put a neck roll so you can play some of that fullback. I don't fullback, think that's going to happen. back special teams. Remember last year I interviewed uh, Kobe Bryant, went over there to just chat with him and asked him who we weren't talking enough about? Well, I'll say Dariq Young. Dariq, 
Eureka's the ultimate competitor. I feel like he's a silent assassin, too. He's kind of like me. Um, you know, he just puts his head down and go to work. You know, he, he even surprised me. I knew he was good, obviously. But, you know, just to see him show up every day, whether if it's on special teams or whatever it may be, and uh, just he goes 100 miles per hour every day. So I respect him for that. Okay. What he can't do, fine, he can't wear a neck roll because he's a wide receiver. Fine. You know what else he can't do? Shorten his name to Reek. No. He can't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not going to. No. But he, he could be Reek. On one I mean, he could be Reek the Freak because he is pretty darn athletic, too, at his position. And number one, two, and three with these receivers totally locked up and locked down, and they know their roles. Four, five, and six, what that looks like on the perimeter, whom that's going to be, the battle that that will be on special teams, D. Eskridge, are you going to be able to be the fourth? You got the most dynamic athleticism. Put on a show again yesterday. Maura Dooley, eyes all over D. Eskridge yesterday. If you had to bet right now, who is your number four receiver? Is it Dariq Young or is it D. Eskridge? Right now, I'm going to bet on Dariq. Right now. Because, because D's got to do it. He's got to, as Pete said, after after practice yesterday, yeah, he's, I'm he's got to be available. I'm going to take doing the dirty work Durability. and some of those things. Right. I mean, like all of those things are important, so... We'll see whether or not D can pull that off. But Derek Young, number 22 on the most intriguing list Good of the Seahawks this Good year. Good job right Hey, there. thank you. Yeah, we got way it done to, a little way bit. Way to run last. the show. Hey, you know what? We could do whatever. We're very flexible, uh, mm-hmm. not physically necessarily, but mentally. And uh, we can do whatever we need to do. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's see. Let me lay the rest of this hour out for you. Uh, we will talk to uh, Dre Jones next. Sorry about the little delay on that. But we want to hear from a guy that was as you know, important to their off season as anything. So we'll talk to him coming up in a moment. And then Jerry DePoto will join us at eight 30. Well, for what I think might be the first Thursday conversation after a Wednesday win in months, I don't know if it's been all year, but it's gotta be in months. I mean, it's like, it has just not happened at all. So we'll look forward to talking to Jerry. We'll do it at eight 30, just a week, less than a week before the deadline. After we talk to Dre Jones next. This is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, Jerry DePoto coming up. We are your 15 minutes. I am just going to say this now. Let's hope that Dre Jones proves as elusive in getting away from offensive linemen as he has in staying away from the Seahawks PR staff because we're uh, still trying to track him down and see if we can get him on. Uh, we've moved some things around, so uh, we'll talk to Dre Jones here in just a moment or two. But if we could talk about him before we do so, look, there there are guys on this team that you absolutely need to have a great season. And outside of Geno Smith, because quarterback's kind of in its own unique spot, if I had to pick a next player that needs to have a great season this year, I don't know how many names I would go down before I got to Draymond Jones. Any question that he's top five. I mean, on on that list of being a difference maker, they paid him. And I think that's a reminder. I think it kind of gets lost a little bit in this offseason. As much time as we spent leading up to the draft and five and 20 and five and 20 and five and 20 and these unbelievable foundational pieces that you can get through the draft. Let's let's remind everybody that they spent a lot of money. They, They went in the first wave. The second biggest defensive lineman signing was Dre Jones. Right, it it wasn't the guy from Phil Hargrove. wasn't He went number one, just a few shekels more, and a different kind of player, a little bit thicker body, a little bit bigger player. And Dre is just watching the video yesterday from practice. Salk, remember how many times I would look at you when LJ Collier was running through drills, and I was like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's like no twitch, there's no explosion. 
Like, how are you going to shed your, your, your guy blocking you if you just can't, if you're Velcro? And so many of those guys were just unfortunately Velcro a season ago. In the last few years, he's not Velcro. He can, he can get up and go. And he is one twitchy dude. And even in drill work yesterday and even without pads on, certainly expressed a bunch of that on the field. Yeah, it's it's interesting um, that they went with the player that's twitchier rather than thicker. Yep. Right. I mean, like if you, if you could have had your choice between him and Hargrove, who would you have gone with? Well, uh, he's younger, so this is kind of your Seattle Mariners. You don't want just one or two years. This mm-hmm. is a guy that should do this for the next four or five years. A similarity, a same vein that those two organizations that share a street with both have. I want these guys. I don't want them. I think probably from one pure skill set, maybe Hargraves a little little higher in one, but from a total toolbox and then just the just the violence and the age, they go with Drake. How, how does that body type and his his style impact the running game? Because I think I get a pretty good sense as to how he impacts the passing game. I mean, he can get after the passer. How does he impact the running game? Well, I think that that's going to be a bit of the watch. And and certainly when we have K.J. Wright and the K.J. Wright show begins again, and I can't wait for that, there is a part of me that thinks about, you know, Sheldon Richardson and, and K.J. and just, you know, the peanut butter and jelly that have to work between D. Lyman and linebacker. Well, let's bring him onto the show right now. Dre Jones taking a few minutes to join us from training camp. Good morning, Dre. How you doing, man? Good morning. How are you? Well, yesterday was day one for you, huh? Practicing by the lake. I'm going to mm-hmm. guess that was a pretty unique experience. Very unique. Uh, got a nice cool breeze out of it, too. I know. <laughs> like that. That's the way training camp should be, right? How humid mm-hmm. did it used to be in Denver? Uh, it didn't get like overly humid. It used to be hot, you know. It's not, it doesn't really get uh, humid out there in Denver. You didn't talk to friends in like Minnesota. Uh, but he was in Columbus. I mean, let's yeah, be fair. Say, like, he was in Columbus, Ohio. Yeah, that- Columbus is it, it, Columbus is crazy humid. It's, it's insane. But no, Denver's not like humid. That's not. I mean, in general. Okay. Day one of training camp feel any different? I know the pads aren't on. The league mandates that it feels a lot like the OTAs. But it being training camp in the calendar nearly turning to August, did it feel a little different hitting the grass yesterday? It did. Uh, personally, I feel like I was a little rusty. It's been some time, you know what I'm saying? But that will, that will come with uh, with the nuances of camp, and you'll get into it, and you'll get acclimated, your body get callous. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be prepared better. You know, Dre, uh, Salk was just asking me about your game and your style, and I like to use the word violent. You know, watching you at Ohio State, watching you in your years in Denver, you like to play, you know, with a, with a violence factor that is way ramped up. How does that fit into this scheme? How does a guy that played four down at Ohio State that penetrated, that created chaos, that was in the backfield a bunch, how does it fit within the scheme and what they're asking you to do here? Uh, it's, a, it's along the same things that I did in college, and they, when they want me to do it here, uh, just being penetrating, uh, creating some separation in the line of scrimmage so we can uh, – you know, get runs that are three yards or less. I mean, we emphasize that a lot in our meetings that, you know, we want to change a lot of things that they did last year, which is uh, emphasizing mainly on the run game, and I'm, di- I'm just the guy to do it. What's the Pete Carroll experience like? Is it what you expected, different than you expected? I mean, we saw the video of him coming out yesterday and running mm-hmm. out there at 71 years old. What has that been like for you? I mean, honestly, it's a complete 180 from any coach I've ever experienced. Uh, he's super enthusiastic but very serious and business-like at the same time. Uh, I don't really know how to describe it. you got to just be here and play under him to, to get it. Like he, It's not one of those things you can just like pinpoint certain things that he does. It's very unique. His, his meetings are very unique, and they're, they're serious. People are locked in, but at the same time, they're, at, they're having fun at the same time. So it's totally different. 
Dre, I think you can understand Dre Jones here with us. I think you can understand how challenging it can be at times for an audience. And this is a smart football town. You're going to feel that in your time here in Seattle. There's a lot of 12s and a lot of good football fans. But to try to understand some of the nuance between a 4-3 and a 3-4 and a 2-gap and a penetrating and all this stuff can get a little bit lost. But I think I heard you just say there pretty clearly that compared to last year, there's going to be some change in philosophy and thought when it comes to stopping the run. Can you just help us understand that on the outside a little bit? Um. We're going to be mixing that. We, we have some things where we mix in both style of defenses, which is 4 3 and D4, but the main point of it is penetration and, and uh, creating that, that distance and that separation between the line of scrimmage that we need to get those three, those, those, those gains, like I said earlier, three yards or less. Uh, they're really emphasizing that a lot. I know last year there was some struggle when I wasn't here, and uh, now I'm here to help be that bridge to bring this team to what they need to be. When do you guys start one-on-one pass rush drills? When does that get going? Probably sometime next week we have pads on. All right. I imagine. How much do you love that drill? I'm not going to lie to you. I, I get a lot of like anxiety about it. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, good, I'm a good pass rusher, but uh, the, the fact that you got to have a, a one-on-one moment and everybody's watching you, I don't want to be – like, I'll lose, but like I don't want to be a person that get like stoned or something <laughs> like that, like get dropped. Like I, That hasn't happened yet. I mean, I'm going a year if I don't, I don't expect it to happen, but still, like I, I always get things that I've had that since like high school. So who do you want to go against? To everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it don't matter. That's amazing, man. You know, the NFL's come a long way, Brock. I don't think you ever would have heard a player say that 10, 15, 20 years ago, that something yeah. like that gave them anxiety. But yeah. good on you, man. That's awesome. I mean, it, it's it's interesting that that's, you know, thanks for being honest about the way the way you approach a practice like that. I think yeah, that's yeah, very yeah, interesting. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not scared. There's no, I know that. Not, yeah, I'm hey, not scared at all. Yeah. Just, no, no one's calling you scared. Let's be clear. Right, just just making sure. All right. How about 54 behind you? Does he create any anxiety? Does he, does he bark a little bit at some of the boys? Have you, have I you mean, yeah, some but of- like... You know, I, I play with some legends already, so I'm used to it. But you know, Bobby definitely is a, a different caliber of legend. But no, nah, nah, I'm, I'm excited to play with a, a legendary player like Bobby. I'm sorry to do this because you didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this. And, it, and if it hadn't come out like an hour ago, I wouldn't even ask you about this. And we're going to have to run here. And I know you do soon as well. But you were in Denver last year. And there's this big article that came out this morning on Sean Payton. And his quotes about how bad it was there last year are, are pretty rough. He says, I don't know, Hackett. A lot of people had dirt on their hands. They couldn't get a play in last year. He basically calls it one of the worst coaching jobs he'd ever seen. Was it that bad? <laughs> I mean, that's just his opinion. He was uh, an outside looking in of his assessment. Uh, who am I to say how he feels? Um, there were moments that were bad, and there were moments that were good, just like any football team. Uh, you know, he was the first year head coach. And uh, I mean, regardless of what happened last year, I think he's still a good coach. But, you know, Sean Payton has his opinions. Well, do you feel what that's I feel? Answer. Do you feel what I feel right here? What's that? I think Dre's ready to just go hit people. It kind of seems that way. <laughs> like, are you ready to go hit? <laughs> Of course, come on now. <laughs> defensive lineman, I gotta go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Brock yeah. likes to call the defensive linemen walruses that they like to sit in the shade, just sort of sunning themselves. You don't, don't seem like that, that kind of defensive no, lineman. I, I don't like that that term. No, I'm not. A, I'm not a, no damn walrus. No, you're more. You're, you're a little more. Yeah, see, Brock, he's not a walrus. No. Yeah. You might have the tusks for it, but that's about. He's it. a little more of an yeah. orca. There he's you like, go. Yeah, orca. Yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. I like that I'll take that. I'll Dre, we appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck with the pass rush drills next week. We'll be watching. Good. Thank you. There's Draymond Jones, Seahawks defensive lineman. We're going to have to run real quick because we've got Jerry DePoto coming up next. We'll have more time to react a little bit in the 9 o'clock hour. It's Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. 
The Jerry DePoto Show, presented by Seattle Pump and Equipment on Seattle Sports. Jerry, I know we've joked about this team not winning on Wednesdays. Do you know the last time this team won a Wednesday game was in May? Sadly, I do not. It was May. Oh, my. I was going to say, don't ruin this for me. <laughs> but it's... Yeah, it's it's been a while, and I, I will say that it's just been generally a good week. I think we've played very well for the most part. Yeah, what what's been different? I mean, it, it, you know, you watch this team; they're they're what a blown save and a sacrifice fly away from having won maybe seven straight. What's been different? Yeah, I, I mean, I could say too that we've had some comebacks in there that weren't probable. So, you know, well, don't ruin it for me either. Easy. Hey, <laughs> come on now. Don't ruin it for me either. I got a narrative here. We, we have, uh, you know, it's a, you get a little bit of energy. You know, we, we had some energy with full houses versus the Blue Jays at home. I think it was a, an energizing series. And, and as much as, as it hurt losing Jared Kelnick for a period of time, I think we got a little bit of a jolt, especially in Minnesota from Kate Marlowe. Uh, you know, it's, it's there are so many small things that contribute to 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 that. that just a little spark that starts a good week, and you know, it, lo and behold, you know, we look up and it hasn't been a good week. It's it's been a good month. You know, July has been a really good month for us. We're actually trending maybe the best July in in the last you know decade for us, which is something, and it's been happening pretty quietly. I think Ryan Divish, if I remember right, had said something along these lines early in the season, Salk, maybe even before the year, Jerry, about Scott's service. And one of his greatest attributes is he is a machine. He just does not waver. He just, through the ups and the downs and everything else, he is just such a steady force. And I'm curious from your perspective, just through the ups and downs and the emotions and the peaks and valleys of this season, how critical is it to have your skipper be so flatlined? Yeah, I, I wouldn't call him flatlined. <laughs> He's just good at managing it. You know, there's we we all have you know ups and downs and moments, but Scott does a great job of focusing on what needs to be done, and whether that's you know executing pitching change, managing the the staff, or you know trying to to establish uh, a. A, a feel in the dugout in the clubhouse he does have his finger on that pulse pretty good and i think he does a remarkable job he, scott's not stoic when the door closes but he does so if a he had a heart rate so, so if he had a heart rate monitor on during the game he, his, his heart rate would actually be a little bit like ours as fans yeah his heart rate isn't running like his face you know <laughs> scott has a great he has a great way of not letting you see anything that affects him and and i think that's I could say that about some of the great closers of our time. I think I look back to, you know, the managers who were great at what they do over time. And you'd never know if they were winning or losing the game. They just focus on what needs to be done. How would you be if you had to sit in the dugout and after every missed bunt to every bad, every everything, the camera immediately flashed to your face? It would not look like Scott. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I believe it. But it seems like he's pushed some of the right buttons. We heard him talking about Julio and some swing changes. I like the way he sort of has referenced Julio now a couple of times in his plan late in games and, and being willing to listen. It seems as if that's just been like a, a year-long process for him trying to manage and get the most out of the most talented player on that team. 
And I imagine that it'll be like that throughout Julio's career and, you know, and, and hopefully the next Julio's to the extent that we have guys that talented. <laughs> it's when you have players that talented that are capable of so much, you know, more is required to draw it out of them. And his his ceiling, his impact is so high. And, you know, here, especially in the, the last week or so, we've seen him, you know, step up. And he particularly in the last few games in Minnesota – and I think you saw a little bit of a change in his in his the, the way his body is is situated in the batter's box and the you know the the way he stays in his legs through his swing and and I don't know if it's if it's just something in a moment or if it's an adjustment he's making to be honest with you but uh, but he lifted the ball he he's always hit the ball hard he was just his trajectory was off you know he was hitting it hard on the ground usually to the pull side and. And I thought the the greatest sign was him lacing line drives to right center, hitting opposite field homers. That's you know that's a very good thing. And you know hopefully we're getting ready to get into the, the hot version for Julio. Jerry, I think one of the things that I've learned over the course of the years, and in, in talking to you, and, and certainly all the time you give us on this show every week, is you can't general manage like a fan you can't manage like a fan you can't make moves emotionally like a fan and just look at one game or one week and just make moves irrationally through that emotion yet the trade deadline does come in four or five days or so what next tuesday six days uh what kind of role do these next three games and the first game of the boston series play in some of the decision making that does have to come uh, they'll play some, and they always do. Your team's performance should define what you do. And, you know, part of it is what happens. We typically focus on ourselves, and, and we try to maintain that throughout. But you get into this time of the year, especially around the deadline, and a lot of it does matter, you know, where you stand among other teams in the league and what the likelihood is of, of being able to, to jump that, that train, so to speak. I've said this before, our pitching is good enough that if we can get on the dance floor for the postseason, we can do some damage. And and we're aware of that. We would, we want to put ourselves in a position to to do that over the course of the season's final two months. Now, that said, we're always focused on how do we do how do we do the responsible thing in making sure we're constantly building our core. And you know, if we have a chance to do that through the course of these next six days. We'll do it if we have a chance to, to make ourselves meaningfully better uh, without putting ourselves in a precarious position moving forward. We'll do it. We'll try to be responsible in, in how we address our roster's needs with what's available on the market. So what are your conversations with other teams like right now? Back and forth. You know, I mean, we've we've not gotten to the to the stage in the exercise where it's gotten uh, where I would call it in the red zone on any deals. We've expressed interest in players we think fit for us and do make us better. In 23 or moving forward, uh, we have received incoming calls about players on our roster, and and I would say it's been pretty broad this year. It's there are there are not a large number of defined sellers in this market. There are a lot of teams that are trying to thread a needle or flat out buying, and there are very few teams that are selling or that are populating the market with the types of players that that contending teams look for at this time of year. So how do you define, I mean, one thing we talk about a little bit of these, the idea of a rental, how do you define a rental? Uh, rental, it's, I actually hate the term, but, you know, a rental is a player on a, on a pending free agent contract. So 
this player is effectively unless you can work something out over the season's final two months, which is highly unlikely with a pending free agent. They are leaving you know, when, when free agency opens up in the offseason. So it's, it's a player who's going to be with your organization, barring you know, magic extension two months from free agency. They're going to be with you for two months. And, and do you have interest in rentals or are you explicitly and only looking at... Can we come up with a new name? Okay. I know. I think that's part of the problem. Is it degrading? Is that the problem? Sort of degrading to the players like he's a house or something? <laughs> yeah, that's a, and, and this is, you know, it's a personal thing for me. I, I do think it's it's a, a pretty common reference. So I don't want to get, you know, up in arms about it. But, you know, they're, they're pending free agents. They're short-term players. Right. They're here. They're, they're only here for a short period of time. And, and we're not opposed to bringing in, you know, a short-term roster fit. It depends on what you have to give up to get it. We're not willing to purge future Mariners teams, you know, and what that could be for our future, unless we feel like that is a player who puts us over the top. And, and I think for it to be a player who puts you over the top, you have to be close to the top uh, to, in order to make moves like that, if that makes any sense. It does. Jerry, how big of a deal is the collective market? Uh, my old, late, great real estate boss used to say to me, Brock, understand the market is what the market's willing to pay. Well, we saw the first, I know you made a transaction yesterday on, on a reliever and, and an arm, but we saw the first kind of big move, right? The Angels go in, they make a trade with the White Sox for a starting pitcher and another, you know, relieving arm. Does that, does that move and the value of that move, does that start to create a market or is it just, hey, singularly it's team by team and there really isn't a collective market? You know, I, first I will say that the, your reference to your real estate boss was about as Jerry Maguire as it gets. That was awesome. Uh, but and as it as it relates to the to the market, yeah, I mean, it, it, I guess that there's a baseline for for what is now expected of of the next player, and you know, both players that that went to the Angels. And yesterday's trade are they, they are pending free agents, so they embody what we just talked about. That I don't know uh, if many teams are really open to trading players beyond those that are short term right now. We haven't really seen that move yet, but you know it, it does establish a baseline. There are other players of that quality that are going to get moved in the next week or so, and you know we are at, at least presently we have spent almost all of our time focusing on players that we feel make more sense for us moving forward. You know, and based on market prices, you know, that could change for us in the next six days or so, again, depending on what the, the return. And you know, we're not opposed to acquiring any type of player if they if they fit, provided it makes sense for the present and future of our organization. We did see that you made a move yesterday, uh, bring in a guy who I assume is kind of a spot starter who has options. We so kind of go up and down, but maybe more interestingly is the corresponding move with Marco Gonzalez going to the 60 does that mean he's done for the year or is it just more of the retroactive situation for the roster spot? It's the latter, you know, actually in doing the simple math today is Marco's 60th day out. So he's already uh, achieved 60 day IL status. So he could in theory be activated tomorrow. So it's, it's nothing more than, than a, a simple admin move. He's already been out for 60 days. So, you know, that's a, that was a simple roster adjustment that we could make to add a pitcher with pretty good stuff who's had a fair bit of major league experience and give us depth, you know, headed into the final two months where we've talked about, 
you know, young pitchers. We have taken on a couple of dings and we've, you know, we have run a lot of guys out there with, with very limited major league experience. And, and Trent Thornton is not long in the tooth. He's 29 with a couple of three years of major league service, but having guys that are experienced as we get into the season's final two months is important. You know, Jerry, we talked to you uh, after last season in, as you headed into the winter meetings and, and where free agency went and, and how quiet the trade market was. You, you talked about right now it is these impending free agents that tend to be the, the conversations and not a lot of the others quite yet. And I'm just wondering, this third wild card, it's awesome, right? These wild cards, it's opened it up. It's more competitive. 21 of 30 teams in the league as we sit here today are within six and a half games of the wild card. But I wonder the impact – that wild card has on this trade deadline on that acquisition phase of the trading game. And can it still be as active as it once was? Oh, I think it's going to be incredibly active and, and usually it is active in the final 72 hours. And uh, I, I would say that it's, it's not too dissimilar from what we see in the first 72 hours of free agency, you know, roughly the, the public clamor is why is it so quiet? Why aren't they doing anything? And then here comes the fire hose <laughs> and there's an update on, you know, MLB network or ESPN every six minutes, but this is, it's going to be active. I, I think it's going to, it won't be defined until, you know, Sunday or Monday for so many teams because of what you said, that third wild card keeps so many teams engaged and, and we're one of them, frankly, it's, you know, it, it gives you something to shoot at and, you know, there are absolute buyers and then there are teams that are, as I used the phrase before, trying to thread a needle, you're trying to find a way, you know, to, to situate yourself to best contend in 2023 while not robbing from future years because you understand the odds are a little bit long. And you know, that captures about, you know, 20 teams in our league. And, and, you know, and then there's going to be another couple on the fringes or, you know, rebuilding teams that are primarily young. And uh, that, that leaves very few teams that have the types of, of players available in the, in the market to really make a dent, but you know, somehow multiple of those teams that are on the fringes will decide to go the other way by Sunday or Monday and, and it'll get active. It, it's gotta be, I don't know whether frustrating is the right word or what, but, but trying to make a decision, which you know, in your head shouldn't be made based on two, three, four games of baseball, but in some ways will almost have to be because that's what the situation and the, and the record and the standings will end up dictating. Yeah, and, and I, I'll go back to, to trying to do the responsible thing. You know, if left to our own devices, it, we're all competitors, you know, whether, <laughs> whether it's in the front office, it's on the field, you see opportunity, you know, every one of the players in our clubhouse, we want them to get excited by what happens at the deadline and, and feel motivated. And sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't, but you know, you've got to do the smart thing. And, you know, virtually there's 30 teams and I would say most of them are going to make some type of transactions that are going to affect their major league club in, in the next six days. And, and that's kind of a, an exhilarating time. You can do things to, to make impact from a, from an organizational standpoint, but you can't do stupid things if you intend to sustain. And, and that's what we've really built this on is the desire to sustain. And we're going to try to avoid stupid things. Okay. So you mentioned Jerry Maguire. So then I'll just follow up. I'm just kind of curious. Do you have to have irresponsible guy or gal in the building? 
is there just that irresponsible voice that bounces into your guys' offices and into the media rooms and, and just starts to spew totally, as you just said, stupid, irresponsible stuff just to put it out there on the table? Oh yeah. And and you want that. You want, you know, you, you want a variety of opinions. What's possible? What could we do? And you're going to have the, the, the risk averse. You're going to have the risk takers. You're going to, it's, and, and some people are going to toggle back and forth based on the, the type of player that you're, that you're looking to acquire. But you know, this is, this is an interesting time because it's, it's when you find out it's, my face, and I would say this of Justin, you know, there's our faces don't necessarily look like Scott's in the dugout, but we're trying to remain, you know, we're trying to remain balanced in the way we're making our decisions and, and do the right thing more broadly for the club. What did our texter say about Scott's face? That's funny. That he called it up. resting pissed face. I don't, I don't know whether that's fair or not, but he said if you just always look mad, then, you know, when you are mad, no one will know the difference. Yeah, it's a, there's, I will say, you know, on occasion, I have been in a situation in my lifetime where Scott's come out to the mound to visit me. And, I, and my first reaction is, why are you mad at me? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm trying, but uh, it's, he, is, he, he is balanced and we're trying to do that same type thing with our, our trade deadline. And, and we, we have needs we would like to address for 23. You know, we are equally as focused on putting players in place who we feel like help answer questions for us moving forward. And it's a, our, our, our general plan has never changed. And you know, the, the thing that changes day to day is how much clearer it becomes on who's available. Do they fit us? Are they actually acquirable based on what we have? And I think those are, that's what makes it fun. And that's why it changes day to day because there might be three more teams that enter the fray on either side of the, the ledger tomorrow or later today. Yeah, I would think it must be an interesting spot. You're almost a time like you want your team to show you one way or another, you know, win four straight, lose four straight, do something to make this just not that you want them to lose four straight, but make this decision a little bit more obvious. And I would think there are teams around the league you're watching saying, man, I really hope the whomever loses four straight so that so and so becomes available and they just, you know, make him available because they can't they can't realistically compete anymore. Oh, I believe me when I tell you I would love that if we could <laughs> if we could will teams to lose four in a row. The, the I also would say that we have an uncanny knack as an organization for picking up the phone and and expressing interest in player X, whether that is a prospect, a young major leaguer, or you know the pending free agent, and that player is almost destined to go on a seventy-two hour heater where the the, the the, either the availability becomes questionable or the price just went through the roof. <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, it's, it, we're good at it. We've been doing it for years. We actually, you know, for, for a few years, we, we referenced ourselves as the Hall of Fame makers. Like, we make a call. This guy's definitely going to go on a hot streak. Hey, last thing for me here, Jerry. How are your young arms doing? I, I think back last year to, to George and, and I think it was about August. It was maybe the only little stub of the toe and then kind of found himself into September and just kind of curious in the calendar year and for the woos and the millers as we're pushing in here and how into the games in the hundreds, um, you know, how are their arms holding up from maybe the way you all look at it that is at times different from us? I think remarkably well, you know, we're, we're still conscious of having to manage the innings. We plan on doing that. You know, I, I do think there's going to be, you know, a time for us and it might be mid August where we make whatever adjustments we're going to make. We do feel like we have, you know, 
in-house solutions to make that happen. Whereas if we may go to a six-man rotation, we may try, you know, a, a traditional long reliever to piggyback with a young starter. But the but at the end of the day, you know, I think Wu his last start against Toronto was fabulous. You know, it was an unfortunate four-pitch walk to Whip Merrifield uh, that cost him you know, later on in the inning. But I thought the start itself was fabulous yesterday and what I would consider, you know, more of a Coors Field type environment in Minnesota with a hundred degrees and a jumpy ball, uh, because when it's, when it's hot and humid like that, the ball jumps. And I thought Bryce Miller was awesome. Filled it up, gave us every chance, took us deep into a game. And it was the, the best, you know, the best he's held his velocity through a game in quite some time. You know, he looked very comfortable and, and that's all we're looking for is, is how, how much stress do they show as they're working through these innings? And, and right now, they don't really appear to be showing us that stretch and, or stress. So we'll continue to manage it by, by using our eyes. You didn't go to Taylor Swift this week, did you? I did not, but I was fascinated with the, the, the pour out and the number of people who flew into Seattle to see it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've gotten some feedback from the Swifties at the office who are – you know, they were pretty excited about, about being at the show okay. and I've gotten some lowdown on what life as a Swifty is like. Yeah. And, and that was, a uh, it was interesting. Anybody make you a beaded bracelet or anything like that? Nobody did, but I, you know, I, I actually heard, and this is good, you know, it's going to date me and, you know, and, and I guess in some way reference my stodginess, but uh, one of my coworkers said, ah, it's the greatest night of entertainment I've ever seen. I, and, and I, I said, yeah. 1985 it was august at the meadowlands bruce springsteen playing in jersey and six hour show laying on the stage telling us stories that's i get it but man that that was i don't know if it could get any better than that (laughs) well you have to reference bruce springsteen if you're going to work in baseball i think that's like a it's an actual requirement for the job that you have that and being able to pull all-nighters here over the course of the next few days leading into what should be a fascinating trade deadline jerry brock said that he doesn't know how you and justin don't uh, drink earlier at the end of every night we're just waiting to see what you end up coming up with so uh thanks for doing it and when we talk to you next week the trade deadline will be in the rearview mirror all right, guys. Look right. forward to it. There you go. There's Jerry DePoto joins us every Thursday at 830. A couple of things really stand out there. So, all right. here let's, uh, let's do this. Let's react to Dre Jones next. We haven't even had time to do that. We're going to react to Draymond Jones coming up in a moment. Brock heard quite a bit about the scheme and what they're going to be doing a little bit differently. I think he explained that better than maybe Pete Carroll even has. And then we'll come back to some of what Jerry said about the trade deadline and what they're willing to do. I see a lot of texts here that I'd like to try to answer because I think Jerry gave answers to some of these questions. Mm -hmm. So stick around. It's going to be a really busy 9 o'clock hour next on Brock and Salk.